there's a lot of things going on right now in this world. And while I prefer expository preaching, sometimes you have to build a sermon based on just one word. And for me, recently, the more and more I've seen of people becoming desensitized and adapting, and this is just how it is, this is the new normal, I hate that, um, integrity kept popping up. Integrity, integrity, integrity. So I began to meditate on the concept of the practice of integrity. The practice of integrity. And so what is the practice of integrity? Well, it's a quality that a person comes to understand, accepts, and chooses to live out in accordance with one's values and principles. And for a Christian, our values and our principles stem from the authority of God right here in our hands. It's a foundational virtue in which our character is built. Integrity holds the qualities of honesty. Uh, it holds strong moral standards and uprightness. In other words, it is the whole being. It is an, it's an undivided person. That's what integrity is. And that undividedness is within ourselves, not from anything on the outside, inside. So some see integrity as who a person is and what a person does in the dark. Some see integrity as who a person is or what a person does when they're alone when no one else is looking. Are you the same person um, all the time, or do you say one thing and do another? The ethical quality here consists of honesty, of innocence, of moral excellence, and transparency. The problem with integrity, <laughs> the problem with integrity is we're not born with it. This is something that has to be developed and nurtured. It is something that we have to practice. Pastor Mark, are you telling me I've got to practice integrity? Yes, I am. I absolutely am. I liken today's culture, I liken today's culture uh, to that of a chameleon, the reptile, the little lizard, right? As a chameleon. I always thought that one of the main reasons a chameleon changed its, its colors was to, to either hunt prey or to not become prey. Camouflage. We know a lot of animals in the animal kingdom that use that kind of color-changing ability as camouflage. But now we've come to understand that a chameleon changes its colors to regulate its internal temperature based on outside temperature. It changes its colors depending on the change outside of itself. And this blew my mind because this is exactly what humans do daily. This is the very same thing we do. We change, we conform, uh, we blend in to fit in, or to move forward in something, or to advance in something. So it's like this. We change our colors because it helps us, it benefits us in and at that moment. And I think we've all struggled with the area of integrity in different parts of our life. So what happens is when we compromise like that, and we are not walking in integrity, what happens is it creates a subjective truth with values and principles that change with the tides. 
It's constantly changing. There's no absolute. It's all just subjective. In essence, it's a person who changes depending on their circumstances or the situation in which they find themselves. They change their colors depending on the situation at hand. However, this authentic condition of living, right, living with integrity means that we do not change with the varying circumstances of life. We don't blend in. We don't change our colors depending on the circumstance, right? Our character stays intact along with our values and our principles, no matter the change of outside circumstances. But any of us can turn on the TV or go on the computer and we can see that this is not what's happening in our world. This is not what's happening. So the story of Daniel, that's the story I want to talk about today. The story of Daniel reinforces how Daniel himself and his friends continually and consistently keep their deep commitment to God. They do not change their colors. They are loyal, they are committed to God, even though they are forced to live in a pagan world, and even though they are forced fed that culture's beliefs and way of life. The story here that we're going to talk about reveals the integrity of Daniel's life, of Daniel practicing integrity. So if you don't mind, before we get to the text, I would like to give you kind of a rundown from start to finish of Daniel and his friends and um, kind of set the stage for where we're going today. Because we'll be turning to Daniel 6. That's what we're going to be reading from today. But first, King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah and he besieged Jerusalem. And he told his chief eunuch, Ashpenaz, he told him, I want you to take prisoner the young men, the teenagers of the royal families and of the nobility. I want you to take them prisoner. See, Nebuchadnezzar was going to bring them to Babylon as prisoners and put them in a, an intense three-year course on Chaldean culture. They were going to re-identify, reshape these men, rebuild them into uh, what we call Chaldean culture. That's language, religion, law. That's literature, tradition, etc., etc., etc. It was an awesome strategy, and that's what this is. I want the best of the best, the cream of the crop, right? Not the money, right? Not the items. Give me these people because they are going to become an asset to my kingdom. They are going to be a resource that I tap into. So get the best of the best. And of course, Daniel was rounded up along with a man named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are Daniel's friends. We'll later to come re-identify their names in a second for you. So here they are, captured and taken. They've been ripped from their homeland. They've been ripped from their individual specific homes. They've been taken from their families, and they've been carried to Babylon. And when they get there, when they get there, they even not only change their clothes and what they want them to eat and where they'll wake up and where they'll fall asleep at night, they want to change their whole identity. They give them new names. Daniel becomes what we call Belteshazzar right? Uh, Hananiah becomes Shadrach. Mishael becomes Meshach. And Azariah becomes Abednego. And you know the story. Come on, we remember that from kids. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And we'll get back to them in a second. They tried to reshape and re-identify each of these men, but here is the deal. The outside temperature, what was going outside, did not affect them internally. There's this wonderful verse in Psalms 119.11. Psalm 119.11 says that I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, as they were captured, they carried God inside all the way to Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Their clothes might have changed. Their hair might have changed. What they wanted them to eat might have changed. Everything about their identity on the outside looked like it was changed, but not inside. They carried their God. They were protected inside, and they were guarding their commitment and devotion to their God. And how do I know this? How do I know this? Well, let's look at the first thing here. There was their faithfulness in food. Let me explain. The king wanted them to eat a particular diet, the king's food from his table, the king's drink from his table. They were getting the best of that kingdom's food. But I don't know the reason. We don't know it. It could have been that this food was uh, related to something with pagan gods. and They didn't want to partake of this meat because it was dedicated to pagan gods there. Or it could have been the way it was prepared because Jewish culture prepared meat differently. It could have been that. What Daniel told the steward, though, was that we cannot be defiled by this food and drink. They stood their ground. They didn't change or conform to what these other people expected and wanted them. They did not. They stood their ground and said, I cannot eat this food or drink because I cannot. It'll defile me. And of course, if you don't know the story, they ate <laughs> vegetables and drank water and they looked healthier. In fact, they were blessed with a wonderful spirit. They were healthier. Not only did they look better, not only were they more handsome, the wisdom right? How sharp these men were, stood out even to the king. He said, this is different. They were blessed by the God. They were walking with him. They had brought their God to this godless kingdom, and that could not be changed. They were walking in integrity. What's the next thing here? The first dream. Oh boy, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he needed it interpreted. But, and I don't know if you've caught this in the book of Daniel, there were enchanters, there were sorcerers, there were magicians, they were called Chaldeans, they were called wise men. And of course, Daniel and his three friends were part of that group. But the king said, I want an interpretation of the dream. So they said, okay, tell us the dream. He goes, oh, no, no. I want this interpretation to be real and authentic. You are not pulling the wool over my eyes. You tell me the dream too. That is strong. Not only do I want you to interpret my dream, but tell me what I dreamt. And they said, no one can do, no one can do, there's not a man on earth that can do that. Well, it turns out Daniel could. Now, this is what, this is your integrity move. Daniel, all of them were going to be killed. The king was mad. This guy was, he was a raging, angry person. So Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to have you all killed, the wise men, since no one can interpret this. Daniel found out, went to the chief guard and said, please set me an appointment. Set me an appointment. You know what he did? Integrity move. He went to his, free, uh, his three friends, and he said, we have to seek God. We need to go to God right now in prayer. We need to seek his mercy. And God revealed the mystery to Daniel. Integrity move. Why? Because their lives are threatened, and what did they first thing they do? They went to God, their God that they carried with them from Jerusalem. And of course, 
Daniel interprets the dream, speaks the dream, is really honored. His God is now begin, being recognized by Nebuchadnezzar. And he's starting to stand out more and more. He's starting to stand out more and more. Integrity move. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love that verse. Because as soon as there was a problem, all four of them came together to pray and petition their God for help. And you know how many lives? They saved multiple lives by going to their God and asking for this help. Multiple lives. Integrity moved. Hey, then Nebuchadnezzar erects this golden image. And I want you to fall to your knees and bow down to this golden image when you hear particular instruments. I want this decreed through the kingdom. Here's my, I spent a lot of money, it's giant. I want you to fall and worship this golden image. But the new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow. I'm not going to worship this image. The very God that I carried over here to Babylon, the one I love and am committed to, I wouldn't dare go against him. There's no way I'm bowing to your handmade golden image. No way. So the king, once again, is raging mad. They're brought in front, and they say, he says, listen, when you hear these instruments, I want you to bow down. They're basically, I'll summarize for you. King, we're not going to bow. Do what you're going to do to us. Just do what you're going to do. If our God saves us, then our God saves us. If not, we still will not worship the gods or this image of this kingdom. We will not bow to your gods or your image. Heat up that fiery furnace, said the king. Heat it up seven times more than usual. Seven times. We are going to throw you in a fiery furnace since you will not bow. Integrity move. Okay. I got you. We're not going against our God. All three of them were thrown into this fiery furnace. The fire, the heat, the flame from this fire killed the men throwing them in. That's hot. Killed the men that threw them in. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar's looking. And just like the song we sing here in worship, there was another in the fire. There was a fourth person in that fire. Now, I love this verse. I want to read this verse to you. Proverbs 10, 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. If you want to live a life of crookedness, if you want to uh, live a life that is not on the up and up, right, lack of integrity, you're going to be found out. We know when we do things where we get in trouble, when we're caught, we're found out. And here, this verse says, when you walk in integrity, you walk securely. Those three men walked securely into the fiery furnace, and they walked securely out of that furnace. God was watching over them. They were walking in security. They were walking in integrity, and God was with them. Now, you can't dismiss the fact that that is a terrifying thought to be burned alive, but not one hair was singed. Folk, they didn't even smell like smoke. We've all been around a campfire when we leave. We know exactly what we smell like. There wasn't even a hint of smoke on these men. They walked in integrity. And of course, there was another dream. 
And Daniel, he didn't sugarcoat this dream, this interpretation for Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you, my friend, are going to lose your mind and live as a wild animal until the allotted time where you come to your senses and you recognize who God is. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, king of everything who could have me killed, you're going to basically become a wild animal. He didn't sugarcoat it. An integrity move. He uh, he, he, he delivered the interpretation that God gave him to that dream. And then, you know what? After Nebuchadnezzar was a name, another king named Belshazzar. Belshazzar. And you probably know the story of the handwriting on the wall, right? You've heard that. Belshazzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, supposedly his father, uh, stole many items from the temple when he conquered uh, Jerusalem. And he brought these things back and Belshazzar broke him out at this huge party he was throwing. You could imagine. He had his wives there. He had his concubines. It was a wild party, like a thousand people, heavily drinking. Let's take the vessels from our God's temple that we stole. And they started drinking from it. Very idolatrous. Worship of the wood. Worship of the stone and the metal. And what happened was this giant hand started to write in the plaster. And Daniel had to interpret it. After fear and figuring out what to do, the queen mother came and said, there's a man that can interpret this. And Daniel did. He did not sugarcoat it. Belshazzar was the king, and he said, listen, your days are numbered, brother. You're found wanting. In fact, your kingdom will be divided. It would be divided between the Medes and Persians, we know historically. And guess what else? He was killed that night. But Daniel did not deviate from the message. He gave a crystal clear message. It was an integrity move. As we look at the book of Daniel, we see him and his friends constantly and consistently walking securely because they're walking in integrity. They're carrying their God inside them. This is their commitment and devotion. You can do whatever you want to me on the outside, but you can't touch the inside. You can't touch my heart. And that's where integrity lives. Okay, and then we get up to the biggie. There's a man named Darius or Darius, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'll say Darius for us. King Darius. Everybody turn to Daniel 6. We're going to read the first five verses of Daniel 6, 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be uh, throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might not suffer, or excuse me, might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Right? Think about this. And we're not saying Daniel wasn't a sinner. We all fall short. Short We are. But these men examined Daniel closely. How he governed the kingdom. How he handled the money. How he handled the governance. Now, they watched him like a hawk. 
They could find no grounds for complaint. They could find no grounds for error. There was nothing they could do to come at that man. Because you've got to understand, with him being the head guy and being honest and transparent and moral uprightness and doing the right thing, they could not get and benefit from what they wanted. Because now they were being watched. So we have to be on the up and up because our boss is on the up and up. So they wanted to get rid of Daniel. And the only way to do it was in connection to his God because that was his life. That was his devotion. Not King Darius, not Belshazzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, God. So they find fault by setting up a scheme. And this is my favorite part to Daniel, my favorite part. Will everybody look at verse 7? Let's just read together. We're going to jump down to verse 7. It says, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. All right. Let's talk about lions for a second. Some of you have heard me tell you that I'm terrified of big cats and alligators. The worst things on this earth. Because there's nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do if they get a hold of you. By a show of hands, has anyone ever had, and I'm not talking about holding a small lion cub at an agricultural fair for a picture, okay? Has anyone here had an experience with a lion? Beside anybody? No? Okay. You? We'll have to exchange stories. Here's my experience, and I'll tell you why I'm terrified, Dale. I worked at the Jacksonville Zoo, early 20s, 175 years ago, my early 20s. I worked at the Jacksonville Zoo, and I wanted to get on their horticulture department because they were expanding. They were becoming this huge zoo, and you had to get on the grounds team first, so I became a member of the grounds team. And I met a buddy named Larry. We became friends. He was a mammal keeper, and the mammal keepers switched animals like every month. And this particular month, he was working in Africa, and he's working with the lions. I just happened to be in that area of the zoo, and he said, hey, Mark, do you want to come into the lion's house? And I said, yes, please, and thank you very much. I want to go into the lion's house. <laughs> yes. Okay. Boy, I was dumb in my 20s. So I went into this, and it was like a T-junction. You walked in. You walked in, and there was like a, here's a hallway. Whoa, I got loud. Am I really loud? Here's a hallway, and then a long hallway. And it separated two giant concrete cells, habitats. This is where they housed lions at night, or if there was a problem, or if they needed to clean the exhibit. So Larry goes to the left, and I'm like, I'm just going to explore. <laughs> so I'm walking down, and to my left is this door. And I'm like, this is a weird door. Because it's like a screen door. It's like a mesh door. Now, it was steel. Don't get me wrong. But it was like mesh. You could see from top to bottom. It's like walking up to someone's house and seeing one of those glass doors or just the screen. But it was metal, and it was thick. I, I'm assuming it was safe. Um, and like cymbals clanging or you banging pots, this male lion just comes up, boom, and hits that door, and I'm inches away. Did not know this was going to happen. Didn't even know he was in there. So I see this giant mane. It's the breadth of the door. He's way taller than me. I'm sitting there under him, and I am locked. I am locked on this lion. His paws are bigger than my face. I mean, if he, he could have just, I, 
Had we met in the wild, I would be a dead man. He would have torn me limb from limb because I would have stood there and gone, I was in shock. And this was behind a safety of a door. Then it started to growl. But let me tell you something. The growl does not come through the throat or mouth. It starts from the abdomen. I saw the stomach reverberate. It was shaking. You could see it going up. I'm like, what? Is he about to throw up? What's going on? And then this growl. I mean, this roar came out. And that's what happened to my beard. I used to be brown. It was pretty, Mike. It was really pretty. And I was in shock at this lion. I was just, the intensity of it, the fear of it. So if you said, hey, Mark, the punishment is being thrown into the lion's den, I'm going to go, hmm, let's think about this. How can I cut corners to avoid this? Because I'm going to tell you, the lions that were in Babylon were not for show. Come on, Chaldean kids. Come look, and look at these lions we caught. They weren't for display. They weren't pets. They were thrown either into a man-made dug pit or into a crevice that was like naturally made, right, where they couldn't get out. They were starved, and they were agitated. And I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. These were not pets, and they were not friendly. The, the lion that jumped up at me was healthy, was fed properly, and hopefully would not have attacked or eaten me. Personally, I think it would have attacked me, but Larry says no. I don't believe Larry at all. So I think these lions that were about to be uh, the death penalty for this Babylon ordinance, the death penalty, were ready to kill as soon as they smell you or saw you. Okay? So that's verse 7. Now I want you to jump down to verse 10. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Do you get this? It said, and when Daniel knew that the ordinance had been signed. Not only did he know the death penalty, he knew what would land you in this den of lions. And what does he do? He does what he's done for years. Folks, not only years, this is decades. Three times a day, he would open those doors, fully transparent, this honest man, on his knees, facing Jerusalem, praying three times a day, and it made no difference. They set this ordinance for 30 days. They only needed to do it for one. He was going to do the same thing. It's not like he was going to say, I'm going to take this day off. Because Daniel walked in integrity. It says right here that as he had previously done, he had done this for years, decades. They only needed one day. They gave him 30. And they caught him. They took it to the king. He knew the ordinance. He knew the penalty. But Daniel was walking and integrity. Look at verse 16. I like this. Verse 16. <clears throat> then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den, or the den of lions, excuse me. The king uh, declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Did you get it? King Darius saw that Daniel continually served his God, not pagan Babylonian gods, not a golden image, not the king himself, the king, your God, whom you continually serve. It was noticed. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, here's the bad news. There is going to be a response regardless to your integrity, just like Daniel's. It's either going to be respect or it's going to be jealousy. 
Either somebody's going to be made better by your integrity, or someone's going to be made bitter. That's the world we live in. Personally, when I observe you, and I see you make integrity moves, it betters me. It's like, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be like that Christian right there. And so many of you, so many of you walk in integrity. And I look at you and I go, yes, I want to be better for that. I'm not made better. But there are people in the world that watch your integrity move and go, oh, no, that's not good at all. So you have to realize there's going to be a response. It could be positive, but it also could be negative. And Daniel was suffering that negativity in regards to his integrity. He was watched so closely. Look at verse 20. Same thing in verse 20. And as he came near uh, to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And of course, there was an angel sent that closed the mouths of those lions. He was safe. I still would have been shaking in my boots, but he was safe. And he lived through this ordeal. But the king noticed before he was thrown into the lion's den and after he came out of the lion's den that he said the same thing, your God whom you continually serve. There was no deviation. Think about it, guys. I'll be Daniel for a second. For decades and decades, I have prayed to my God three times a day. And now I hear about this lion's den and this little ordinance for 30 days. You know what, God? I've prayed many years to you. I think... To appease the king, it'd be okay to take 30 days off. What's 30 days with all these years I've invested? What do you think if I just take 30 days off and then we start back where we started, you know, where we left off? You know, can we cut these corners? What can I do to avoid this kind of pain? But Daniel walked in integrity, and that is not a move he could make. He could not compromise. He was not going to change his internal temperature or change his colors to adapt and conform to what was happening outside of him. He wasn't going to do it. So when I look at Daniel and I look at his life, I go, that is a man. That right there is a man that practices integrity. And I use Daniel for my own life because I want to walk like a man like Daniel. I want to be a man like Daniel. I want to be able to walk securely in integrity just like Daniel did. And the lion's den story does it for me because those that accused him and this is going to be a hard pill to swallow. Those that accused him were thrown into the pit. Now, we're talking about the men, his, their wives, and their children. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but in their culture, they killed the whole family because they were worried about um, someone coming after them, like vengeance. They were worried about someone wanting to get back. So they took care of the whole family. Before they hit the floor, they were eaten. The bones were crushed before they hit the floor. So don't tell me these lions weren't hungry. When Daniel was thrown in, oh, they, were, they had already eaten. <laughs> You'll be fine, Daniel, for the night. They've already eaten. No, those people didn't even hit the ground. The Bible tells us they were devoured before they hit the ground. Bones crushed. These were hungry, agitated, mean lions. This was a death sentence. But God was with Daniel. You know, I kept thinking about integrity. And, of course, I go, always. you know, my favorite person to talk about in the world is Jesus. So I started thinking about the temptation of Jesus because Jesus blows my mind. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he walked into the wilderness and he met up with Satan and Satan began to tempt him. We have three recorded. We don't know how many there were, but there were three recorded and that's plenty. That's enough for us to learn this lesson. 
Jesus was not tempted from internal things like you and I. He did not have a sinful nature. He was a man without sin. Let's get that straight. He was tempted on the outside. It was the devil bringing up temptation and lowering him. These were not temptations of Jesus. However, he was being tempted by Satan. And it blows my mind that when I think of the woman at the well, the disciples, the different people in the crowds, Pilate, when I think of the Sadducees and Pharisees, do you realize Jesus Christ, the man God, never broke character? He never broke character. In all the gospel stories, Jesus does not break character. So I kept thinking about this. Okay, he's firing away. Satan's bringing it and he's firing away. And Psalm 119.11 came back to me. I'll just read it again. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So here comes the devil firing, and Jesus fires right back with the word of God. And I was so impressed by that because, yes, I knew the story. Oh, I know it. I've read it a million times. But it did not sink in that God's weapon of choice was the very word of God. And I was like, he was, he, it was in the chamber. He was ready. And I said, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, are you ready for something like that? When you have an encounter or an experience, are you ready? Do you have one in the chamber ready to fire? Is God's word what you're carrying in your heart wherever you go? Even if the circumstances stink, if the situation's horrible, are you ready to fire back with God's word? And I was moved by the temptations. I was moved by that story. I tell you, one of our main goals is to become more and more like Christ. In everything we do and in everything we are, we are to fight to become more like Christ. If we are true, professing Christians that want to pursue God, we will fight to be more like him. Integrity frees us. That's how I want to state that. Integrity frees us. Because what happens is we are moved closer and closer to God and we're moved farther and farther from the sin that tempts us and that would draw us away from Christ. I love this expression. I don't know if you've ever heard this expression. It is one thing to know that a fire is hot. It's another thing to not get burned by it. It's one thing to know a fire is hot. It's another thing not to get burned by it. So what that means is this. We can know the, what the Bible says. We can know exactly what it says about the way we should live, but until we put it into practice, we will never be who God wants us to be. Isn't that a scary thought? Praise God, absolutely. We will not be who God wants us to be if we're not putting these things into practice. Oh yeah, I've heard that story many times. That's a great story. I'll tell it to my kids. But are you living it? Because this is where integrity has to come into play. So if I gave everybody pen and paper right now, am I doing good? Oh gosh, i got to speed up. If I gave everybody pen and paper right now and said, hey, I want you to write down a problem area in your life where you suffer with integrity. I want you to write the problem. I want you to write the struggle you're having. And then I want you to write the choices you made. See, choices that you made yesterday brought you to today. The choices you make today will impact tomorrow. Let's face it. Free will, we have choices to make. So you write in your pen and paper your problems. And this is what I challenge you to do this week. Write down your problem areas with integrity. Hey, I look for the loopholes just in case you want to do it. I, God, I want to practice integrity in my marriage. I want to practice integrity raising my kids. Oh, God, definitely my job, my ministry. I want to practice integrity. But there are a few areas over here, God, my little gray areas. Why don't we leave these alone? And let's just focus on these areas. 
But see, now I'm, now I'm divided. And integrity is for the whole being. Integrity is for every facet of your being and who you are. So there are no loopholes. I look, don't even try. No loopholes. Now, each of us, including me, have problems with integrity. If you compartmentalize your life, if you, if you want to dissect the areas of your life, we'll find that we have issues with integrity. What are the struggles? These are the things that we need to be convicted of and pray about so that God can begin to show us how to practice integrity in those areas because it's desperately needed. We need people like Daniel. I'm almost done, folks. How do we do that? It's pretty simple, actually. We have to clean this. We have to clean out our hearts. Clean house. The Holy Spirit needs to be able to clean our hearts and our minds. If we are going to serve God faithfully and to the fullest, we have got to live according to his teachings. But the problem with this heart is there's so much garbage in it sometimes. You know what goes in comes out. We allow so much garbage to filtrate into this heart. And it becomes full. And sometimes what comes out, oh, it's not pretty. It's hard to walk integrity if you're carrying garbage. It's hard to walk integrity if you can't stand securely in integrity because what's inside your heart. So that has to be cleaned out. I love this verse, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from, uh, for from it flows the springs of life. Meaning guard your heart because everything flows from it. Are you guarding your heart? Because this is a step in integrity. You have to guard what is going in. Once the Holy Spirit begins to clean house, you have got to guard what's coming in that heart. And I love Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to have the heart of Christ. But if we are allowing obstacles and garbage to get into that heart, how in the world, in our wholeness, can we practice integrity? You can't. So that has to be filtered out and cleaned. Hosea 10.12. Hosea 10.12 says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Folks, this verse is saying plant the seeds of righteousness in your life. Reap a harvest of love from those seeds that are planted. And hey, break up your fallow ground. That heart that's hardened, that needs to be uh, 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 tilled, right? And, and, and unplowed, you need to plow that ground, if you will. It's been unplowed and pharaoh and hard. We need to let seeds be able to fall because right here it says that the Lord may come and rain righteousness upon you. If part of your heart is soft and part is hard, the heart's not getting seeds and it's not getting the word and it's not getting the saturation of that beautiful righteous rain. That has to be broken up. This is prayer, folks. This is coming to God petitioning to help. Please break up the hardness of his heart that I can plant the seeds of righteousness and allow you to shame, uh, <clears throat> rain your righteousness upon it. Let this heart grow in Christ. Let this heart grow in you alone. Because then we can live out the values and convictions. Then we're able to stand for them. If you're divided, you are not standing for anything. That's why becoming a Christian is so important to understanding integrity. Because it's the wholeness of being. And it all starts with inside. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you wear. It's all about the heart. Same thing with Daniel. 
Same thing with his three friends. It was about inside the heart. We're not chameleons. We're not going to regulate our colors based on what's happening outside. That's not the Christian way. So today, more than ever, people like Daniel are needed. People whose faithfulness remains strong in the face of daily challenges that the world presents. And oh boy, does the world want to throw some garbage at you. If one of the reasons that Christians are placed in a particular position or circumstance is to show others what a Christian is to look like, then it begs the question, what kind of Christian are you? Think about it. If I came up to you, shook your hand, and said, what kind of Christian are you? How are you going to answer back? How am I going to answer back? Because we have to take account of this. We, We have to take ownership of this. And if our hearts are not right, what kind of Christian are you? This world desperately needs people like Daniel. Is God's character reflected, excuse me, is God's character reflected in your life? Is God's character reflected in your words? Is God's character reflected in your actions? That's what we have to ask ourselves as we come to God with our pen and paper, with our problem areas, where we're struggling, or the choices we've made. God, here it is. Help me. See, the world wants you to accept and live by its values. In fact, its purpose is to change your values and principles so that you begin to develop a lifestyle that is in opposition to what God wants you to be, and it happens so slowly. I know a lot of you have heard, I wasn't going to bring it up today, but I'm going to go ahead. I know a lot of you have heard about this Satan Club. Have y'all heard about the Satan Club going on? Because it's right here in your state. The state of Pennsylvania, God bless them, they banned them. They're not allowed. But there are two other states allowing it. And now you got it right here in Greensboro, in in an elementary school. Now, I don't think they've met yet because it's still under review. But you know what's interesting about this? It's a Satan club. It's got a little picture of Satan, a little mythical character. You know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't support Satanism. However, this club derived from the Satanic Temple. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Satanic Temple real quick. They don't worship Satan. This club is not about Satan. Mom did not raise no fool. I can tell you that right now. Let me tell you why this is all about Satan. Oh, no, you come to this club. It's just a fun club. It's puzzles and science projects. And we teach scientific rationalization. Don't be fooled by those two words, people. Oh, yeah, we teach scientific rationalization. We teach critical thinking. Okay, what is the thinking... And what's the science behind your rationalization? I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> if you think for a second the Satanic Temple is not about Satan, you've lost all your marbles, because I'm going to tell you, it is. Satan is the influencer. This is the deceiver. Did God really say that? Remember in the Garden of Eden, did God really say that? Are you sure that's what he meant? Don't be fooled by this little Satan club. Oh, it's just a fun name. The kids will have fun. I'm telling you right now, for parents who are not walking in integrity, for parents who are not walking in integrity with raising their kids, oh yeah, you can, I'll sign that for you to go to the Satan Club. <laughs> A lot of parents were against it. Hopefully they throw it out. Hopefully North Carolina bans it. If it comes to this county, we'll meet together and talk about how we want to face that. Because what we have to do is we don't go, oh, we'll just let it go. Let's conform. Uh, let's not stir the pot. No. If we are walking in integrity, we are walking securely in our God, carrying him inside us, this has to navigate our decisions and our choices 
And this is based on integrity because of God's Word. I bring that up because the world is slowly and manipulatively, schemingly turning things where it's like, well, that's not too bad. We become desensitized. Well, we can adapt to that. What kind of Christian are you? I want to live like Daniel lived. I want to be a man of integrity, and I hope that's what you want too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we always want to come to you with gratefulness and thankfulness. Lord, you are our king. You are our ruler. Father, you are the authority in our lives, and we take you, Father, the person who you are and the word you've given us. That is our navigation for this world, Lord. That is our moral compass. Father, we want to be men and women that walk securely in integrity with you. Father, your teachings, what you expect, how you want us to live. Father, we want to embrace this, and we want it to saturate every facet of our being. Lord, we do not want to be divided. We want no color change, Father. We want to be who we are alone just as much as we want to be who we are in public, the same person, and that person is a godly man and woman who is walking in the integrity that you expect of us, that you desire, who you want us to be, Father. So as we leave here today, Lord, I pray for each and every heart to take seriously the pen and paper. Write down the problem areas in your life. Write down the struggles you're having with that area. And Father, let them pray over it. Father God, let them start to uh, dig up and plow up that hardness of their hearts, that hard, fallow ground, Lord. Let them start to dig it up so that you can plant your seeds, Father that you can rain your righteousness upon us, Father, that we grow closer and closer to you and farther and farther from temptation and what this world wants to dangle in front of us and say, it's okay, this is okay. Father, keep us guarded. Let us guard our hearts, Father, with diligence, Father. Let us all uh, just protect that and, and, and nurture the practice of integrity in every part of our lives. Father, let us be the Christians you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you for your protection, your provision, your salvation, your love, and your care. We thank you for these things. Continue, Father, through your spirit to lead us and guide us and make us who you want us to be. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.